Hey, thanks so much for taking the time to listen to this podcast from Vital Point Church. My name is Ron. I'm the pastor here at Vital Point. We believe that it's important for people to explore and grow in their faith. And my hope, my prayer is that this message that you're listening to will draw you closer to better understanding how you can live out your faith journey in the everyday life. Sit back and enjoy. I want to have a conversation. Ray talked about it in our opening, our welcome, that we're in a series that we're calling The Journey to the Cross. And I want to look at a really cool story leading up to the cross found in Luke chapter 22. Now, if you've got a Bible, you can open it up there. This is what I want to call the denial of Peter. And I want to open up this up because uh, when we look at this story found in Luke chapter 22, what we've been doing through the series is looking at many but big moments leading up to the cross that we now call Easter, or the death and burial resurrection of Jesus. And what's fascinating about this series is, we've learned last week, by looking at the betrayal of Judas, that these many but big moments in the life of Jesus are massive moments that reveal the heartbeat of God, of how he wants to move, how he has a plan, how he has an idea, and a direction for his world and his creation. And the reason why we want to look at it, and I know it's on the screens here, but I'm going to ask it to be taken down because I'm not going to read it yet. It's a little bit until I get there. Even the creative team's on it today. We love it. But I, I want to look at this because even though the death, burial, and resurrection happened 2,000 years ago, it still is this time and place where history changed forever. No matter what. No matter what you think about it, no, where, no matter where you stand on this, this death of Jesus changes hearts, minds, and souls then, today, and the future. This is what it is. This is the Christian faith. Where hearts and minds are changed and find comfort and peace and a sense of belonging because Jesus died on a cross. So we're praying today that wherever you are at, that you know that this conversation is for you. It's for a time like this. It can speak wisdom into our lives. So I want to look at this moment found in Luke chapter 22, verses 54 to 62, and it's around a guy named Peter. Now, Peter is an incredible human being. And I want to give context to Peter before we look at this story because it'll help us maybe identify with Peter. It'll give us a little bit more insight on why did Peter actually do this or what was he thinking. And I believe that, like I said, some of us are actually going to identify, be like, man, maybe I'm a little bit like Peter, Peter or maybe I'm a lot like Peter. And I, Peter was one of Jesus' close disciples, this is amazing to think that he got to walk alongside the Messiah, his rabbi, his teacher, but also his savior of this world. He got to walk alongside him. But before he was a disciple, he was an avid fisherman. Now, when I think of Peter as a fisherman, I think like he's the guy in the boat that everyone asks, can you tie my lure? Can you, can you like teach me how to cast? He's like the Bass Pro Shop dude. He's the guy, he's the sponsored boat that we all want to be like, I'm not like Peter. I'm the guy asking Peter for direction. What lure are you using? How are you casting like that? Why do you catch all the fish and I just seem to catch nothing? Peter was an avid fisherman. He was probably one of the best in his trade and known around his area of living. But Peter also had a brother named Andrew. Now, Andrew was a smart dude which he actually got to follow John the Baptist. He was one of John the Baptist's uh, disciples. And his brother Andrew actually comes to Peter and tells him that the Messiah is here. He has landed on earth. It's not like SpaceX coming down, no. But Jesus is here. 
He tells Peter this, and this would have been so real for Peter because he would have grown up going to Torah school, which is learning scriptures, learning about God's people. What would have been happening? What they prophesied about how Jesus would one day come, a Messiah, a Savior would one, come, one day come to this earth. And all of a sudden, in this moment, it becomes so real for Peter. He probably didn't even think it was going to happen to him, but it does. Andrew actually brings him to Jesus, and this is where Peter actually gains his new name, Peter, which is amazing to think that you could just have a name change that fast. He's like, yeah, you're Peter now. His original name was Simon, but this new name, Peter, means the rock or rock. And, and Jesus, this is actually a foreshadowing to show that Peter would actually be a leader of the church, that Jesus was actually going to use him for a time to build the church, to go out and preach the gospel about the kingdom of heaven here and now, and now as it is in heaven. And what's fascinating about this is this would have been crazy for Peter because he was often overlooked. He was a fisherman. He didn't follow another rabbi. He didn't follow teachers. He was overlooked Jew. And the rabbis, if they came to his school, they'd be like, oh, no, we'll take your brother Andrew. Not you, Peter. You just keep fishing. He's an overlooked Jew. But this moment in this encounter with Jesus, Jesus calls him to be part of his tribe, part of his disciples and a friend of him. And what I found here, and this is just a small piece, even though we sometimes are overlooked, we can look at Peter and his life of being overlooked. And Jesus saw him and wanted to use him. And that reveals the heart of God for all of us in this room or online. That even though sometimes we're overlooked by family, friends, even your job, God still sees you and he wants to use you in these moments. And even though Peter was overlooked, this actually gave him some amazing moments to be with Jesus. Because Jesus calls him to be a fisher of people. In the Bible, in the scripture, it says fisher of man, but it means fisher of people. And right in that moment, Peter drops literally everything. He jumps out of the boat, drops the net, drops his Bass Pro hat off, and he follows Jesus in this moment. He's like, I'm all in. See, personally, I actually identify with Peter a lot. Because Peter's got a lot of enthusiasm, excitement, passion, even commitment. He's even captivated by Jesus in his call. It's like, well, this, there's something different about this guy. And this call actually leads to some really cool moments. The, the fact that Peter is an all-in type of guy actually leads him to have some jaw-dropping moments that some of us would only be able to dream of or read about. Matthew 14 is one of those moments where he demonstrates walking on water with Jesus. Jesus calls him to walk, and he walks on water demonstrates faith. Yes, he does fall into the water and Jesus has to rescue him, but he's showing and demonstrating what it is to walk in faith and keep your eyes on Jesus. Another moment in Mark chapter 8, he actually identifies Jesus as the Messiah. He's one of the first people to say, you are the Messiah. You are the Savior. You're the one that they prophesied about. Peter was also lucky because he was part of like the inner, inner circle of Jesus' disciples. It was James and John and himself, and they walked closely with Jesus. And these examples are the reason why, when the disciples are listed in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Simon Peter's at the top. Simon Peter's at the top of the list. But what's interesting about Peter is, if you've read the Gospels, he often gets himself in trouble. He often gets himself in some ugly situations where he's actually got his foot in his mouth. Because of his excitement, his enthusiasm, he's often got his foot in his mouth and he's often trying to take that foot out. And maybe that's why I identify with him because I'm often <laughs> getting that foot out of my mouth. Just ask my wife. No, <laughs> no, don't, please. Um, 
But because of his excitement, he often gets himself in these moments, and maybe you connect with Peter that way, with the excitement, the passion, and the all-in moment, where then you find yourself like, oh, whoa, whoa, what's going on? But even in all honesty, even though he's got like amazing moments where he demonstrates faith, calls Jesus the Messiah, he has these ugly moments that many of us can relate with. And this is where I want to look at this mini but big moment leading up to the cross of Easter. This is a massive moment. Luke chapter 22. It'll be on the screens now for you, and I can read along with you. And uh, you can just listen to this story, but this is a mini but big moment leading up to the heartbeat and what God is doing for his world. Luke chapter 22 says this. Then they seized him and led him away. This is they're talking about Jesus. He was betrayed by Judas. He was arrested and betrayed by Judas, and now they're taking him away. It says this. Then they seized him and led him away bringing him into the high priest's house, and Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled the fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him, seeing him as he sat in the light, looking closely at him, said, I just, I don't know why, but my mind's like, this little girl's like looking at him, like, what the heck's going on with this dude? Who is he? Looks at him and says, you are, part, uh, you, you are closely, uh, sorry, this man also was with him, but he denied it, saying, woman, I do not know him. And a little later on, else someone saw him and said, I am all over the place. Sorry, guys, I can't read here. I've got to stay focused. It's the energy. Uh, I'm going to start in verse 56 again. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, this man also was with him. But he denied it, saying, woman, I do not know him. And a little later on, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. But Peter said, man, I am not. And then after an interval, about an hour, still another insisted, saying, certainly this man also was with him, for he is Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you're talking about. Very persistent here with not knowing Jesus. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. The denial of Peter, three times. I want to look at the context of this story because there's a few moving parts that I really believe that we're going to find some discovery and some wisdom in these moments of what is going on here. Now, what we need to know about the trials of Jesus is there was about six trials before he was actually put on the cross and put to death. This moment that Peter denies Jesus would have happened at the second Jewish trial. What's more interesting here is that we get a picture that Jesus actually tells Peter that this would happen. Like, I'm telling you, Peter, that this is actually going to happen. And this happens in chapter 22, verses 34. It says, Peter, the rooster will not crow until you deny me three times. So Peter understands what's going on. He's heard Jesus talk to him. This would have been like a a, like not so great moment for Peter when Jesus prophesied and told him what was going to happen that he would deny him, because it would have happened in front of the disciples. Peter was taken back by this because he was the rock star. He was supposed to grow the church. He was the top dog of all all twelve of them, and now he's being told that you are going to deny me when someone asks. And I think an important question, and I had to ask myself this this week, is how did this all happen? How did this all happen? See, first it happened because Peter didn't listen to Jesus' words. That's plain as day for Peter. He was full of excitement. He often got confused, often was just full of the excitement, and he missed the warnings that was talked about because Jesus earlier had predicted his death three times to them. He told them that he was going to be betrayed and arrested and taken away. 
So with not listening and not being obedient, he was kind of ill-prepared. Not kind of. He was ill-prepared for the ambush of the questions of the servant girl and the others around the fire. Moments before, Jesus is telling him to watch and pray because the flesh is weak. And you can fall into thinking with just your flesh and not the wisdom of God in the moments that seem to be really dark or really hard. Mark chapter 14 captures this. He says, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Because the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Our, our natural selves are weak. So we need the spirit to give us wisdom in these moments. And Peter was not thinking by the spirit. He was thinking with the flesh. So he follows Jesus. The guys rest him and he follows from afar. I love how it says that from afar. Not close, but just enough to watch what's going on. And we got to give it to Peter here. Because even though his Messiah was taken, he was full of courage and like zeal and wanting to see his Messiah protected, but was not prepared for the ambush of the servant girl and the others around the fire. Imagine this moment, Jesus in trial, just yards away, and a campfire, Peter sitting there watching closely, probably joining in with the conversation, sticking out like a sore thumb because like they said, he's Galilean, he, he would have had an accent, they would have been like, okay, this guy's not from around here. And Jesus is just yards away, and Peter is sticking out like a sore thumb. And then the moment happens that Jesus tells him about. Servant girl says, you're one of them. Peter denies. Someone else says, no, like seriously, you are one of them. No, I am not. I don't know what you're talking about. Certainly this man is one of them. I do not know what you're talking about, Peter says. And then crow, crow, crow from the rooster. See, something continues to play over and over in my heart and my soul as I read this this week and studied and got ready for this morning. See, even though Peter was at the top of his game, on the list of even the disciples, demonstrated walking on water, did Peter ever really know what the cost was to follow Jesus? The cost. And see, what I mean by that is, did Peter know it was going to cost him more than just using his skilled trade hands? He was a tradesman. He was a fisherman. Did he know it was going to be more than just using his feet quickly to follow Jesus? Did he know that it was going to be more than just his passion and his excitement? Did he know truly the cost to follow Jesus? And this is the idea that's been going on in my head. The cost of following Jesus is high. And I don't know if you know this, but if you're a follower of Jesus, where you say, yeah, I'm a disciple of Jesus, I follow Jesus, this cost is high. This cost is not just things that you want to surrender, where you pick and choose and be like, oh, this is super simple, this is what I can give to Jesus. No, it's actually the cost of your life. Now you might be thinking, well, that's heavy. Like, why are you telling me it's going to cost my life? But in all honesty, this is true. This is what the cost is. It's our lives. See, Jesus actually talks about this because it's so true. The cost is so high. So in Luke chapter 14, he talks about the cost of discipleship. And he uses some really extreme language here. And that should make us a little uncomfortable. He says this to the disciples in the crowds. He says, If anyone comes to me and does not have, uh, hate his own father, his mother, wife, and children, and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Heavy. He goes on to say, Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you who desires to build a tower does not, finish, uh, does not first sit down and count the cost? whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? 
And if not, while the other is yet a great, away, a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he, is, he has cannot be my disciple. The cost. Now, like I said, this is some really extreme language, and actually theologians believe that this is some of the most extreme language that Jesus could actually use. And I think all of us should actually feel a little uncomfortable with this because Jesus is asking for a lot. And I believe Jesus uses this language because it shows us the degree of the cost that we may have to pay, that we do have to pay, and it's extreme. The first extreme is saying, I'm calling you to something that's going to look like you hate your family, mother, father, wife, children, even your own life. The second extreme language is, I'm calling you to a cross, which means the willingness to die in excruciating death. And it's not just a metaphor. This cross has a meaning. It means join me on the way to martyrdom. So counting the cost of discipleship means realizing that an authentic relationship and discipleship to Jesus costs you something. And I believe it's one of the greatest calls we can answer. It costs a lot, but the reward is huge to have this deep-rooted relationship with him. And here's the thing. Jesus requires it up front, a commitment to discipleship with him. There's nothing that's going to later on surprise you. He wants you in it all the way, right away. So when you get into it, when you are walking through life, when you are going through everything, when the highs and lows come, you're not surprised by what's going on because you're already sold out. Or in other words, Jesus, I'm yours. No matter the cost, no matter what happens culturally, no matter what happens in my family, because here's the thing, this is a reality check. Some of us will be looked at as outcasts in the lunchroom. Job sites. It might get awkward. Some of us, it'll actually cost us our finances. And actually, to be honest, it shouldn't just, maybe, it does cost you your finances. This also will make you sometimes feel like you have to give up your personal desires and dreams. It's true. But when your personal dreams and desires line up with the will of God, guess what? He fulfills those and they begin to flourish. You might lose family members and friends because of the cost of your discipleship to Jesus, even the cost of handing over your identity, your political views, your power and authority of self. And you may be sitting here or online or listening to this later on and asking the question, and this is why I had to ask this, how do we count the cost in advance when we don't even know what the cost will be in advance? And the answer is, and you can assume the cost is everything. Everything. All possessions given up and released to him. All relationships given up and released to him. That's the expectation that Jesus calls to his discipleships. That's why Luke 14 sounds so harsh and extreme because he wants us all in, sold out, no negotiating, going like calculating, oh, like if it gets to this, then no, I'm out. No, he's not saying that. It's your life. I love what John Piper actually says about this. He says, he says you can't sign up that way. Nobody signs up for 70% of Jesus, what he requires. That's not what disciples say. We don't talk like that when we give our lives to this. Hypocrites talk like that. Well, no, actually hypocrites, they lie. And I think many of us today, and to be completely honest, I wrestled with this all week. I had a hard time with this. Do I even know the cost? 
Am I willing to lay my life down for this? Some of us in this room right now are feeling the tension in our hearts, in our souls, in our beings because the cost seems very high. Some of us are like, bring it on, let's storm the castle. But no, a lot of us are sitting in this tension, maybe even seeking, asking, and praying, God, give me the strength to just tell a neighbor or a friend that I am a Jesus follower. Because we all know in our world right now, in the 21st century, being a Christian looks like it's like some disease. It's so countercultural. It's like, why would you give your life up to something you can't see? I love that. It's like, you can't even see it. See, to be a Christ follower right now in the 21st century feels like a burden. I understand. I can identify with that. And I know some of you feel that. Some of you have actually confessed that. But there's encouragement in this cost because the reward is so rich and deep and it means eternity with the living king. I want to journey back to Peter and his story of denying Jesus in the courtyard because I believe there's something in the midst of this story that we cannot overlook and that many of us will actually carry with our hearts for a long, long time. We've had Peter just deny Jesus and the rooster crow three times. And first off, I think it's a miracle that Jesus used a rooster anyways to fulfill a miracle with Peter. But let's look at this moment for a second because the rooster with Jesus and Peter means something beautiful for Peter. Well, after the rooster crows, Peter recognizes what was going on and Jesus turns his face towards him. It says that he wept bitterly and ran to a place of repentance. Over and over again, my mind has gone to this image of trying to put myself in that courtyard with Peter at that fire. How would his body respond to that look? How would his body, his mind, his everything that he was respond? Did he respond that way because he was embarrassed? Was he, did he respond that way because he was sorry that he, he, he couldn't help Jesus in that moment? But what I came to realize is the look of Jesus was something so beautiful. That's why he wept with bitterness and to a place of repentance. And it's three things. The first thing this look means is that it was an assurance to Peter that Jesus was still in control. He had predicted his death, the betrayal, the trials, the rooster crowing. And this look towards Peter meant that he was still in control. No matter how dark the hour was, no matter how tight the shackles and chains around Jesus' wrists and hands and, and body were, no matter how dark it was, Jesus was still in control. The next thing it meant for Peter is the look from Jesus assured Peter that he could be forgiven. He could be forgiven. Peter had not been paying close attention to the words of Jesus at this moment. Remember, he's full of enthusiasm and commitment and passion and kind of getting ahead of everything. He argued it even. No, Jesus, you can't die. No, no, you can't go away. He disobeyed it. And then all in this moment, the look, the turn, reminded him the word of the Lord, and it brought him hope. Why? Because there was restoration on the rise for himself and for this world. I also love the third point that this look means It means that Jesus helps Peter realize that a new day was dawning. The prophecies were being fulfilled. God's plan was in action. It already was, but it was being fulfilled where the new day was dawning. That's what the rooster crow meant. A new day. A new day for Peter, a new day for the disciples, a new day for this world. 
And Jesus actually demonstrates this new day for Peter in John chapter 21, where he restores his soul, restores him back to who Jesus called him to be, a fisherman of people. Jesus asked him three times in John chapter 21. We don't have time to read the whole thing. I'm sorry for the snot. So disgusting, eh? Yeah. Do you want to actually mute me, guys? Sorry, over there. Thanks. Good. John chapter 21 is where this moment happens where Jesus actually encounters Peter on the shore side, where Peter's actually gone back after the death, burial, and resurrection. He goes back to fishing. He doesn't fulfill what, God, what Jesus wanted him to do, was build the church and preach the good news. And uh, Jesus meets him fireside, and they have breakfast together. And Jesus asks him three times, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And Peter responds, yes, yes, I do. You know I do. And Jesus restores him and tells him, tend my flock. Feed my sheep. Go back to the path of what I'm restoring to you and I've shown you all along. You are restored. Now go live the life that I have called you to live. Not this world. I have called you to live. See, each and every single one of us might actually identify with Peter in this moment of the denial. Because sometimes we will fumble the ball. Sometimes we will drop it. Sometimes we will deny even saying that we are a follower of Jesus. Our hearts maybe even deny Jesus right now. Some of us are at a distance right now with Jesus. And we can identify with who Peter is because we feel like Peter is me. Have I counted the cost of what it means to be a follower of Jesus? Because here's what's something beautiful right now. That you may be identifying with Peter. You may be following at a distance. Watching Jesus from afar. Committed, but not fully in. Hopping around it. Humming and hawing about it. And here's the thing. I believe that the enemy will actually use those thoughts. Of being like, I don't know. I believe the enemy will use those thoughts. When you question your faith, he will use those things to say you are finished, you are done, it's not worth it. Your story is written, it's all in a book, you're done, it's not a chance in the world that you can change anything. But I believe that the restoration, the turn from Jesus' face, looking at Peter, forgiving him, restoring him, and saying it's a new day, he does the same for us. Does the exact same for us. See, Peter lived this. It became real for him. He denied Jesus, but he was restored. And if you go on to read more letters in the New Testament, you see that Peter walked in that calling to be the rock. Not Dwayne Johnson, the rock for the church. The one that would actually proclaim the kingdom of heaven where people would encounter the resurrection Jesus, the son of God, the one that came to this earth to change history forever. And that look from Jesus helped him understand that he was seen, that he can be restored, that he can sit with Jesus fireside, listen to the stories, be empowered and called to move forward. 
I believe after he was restored, he understood the cost. I do. And you may be sitting in this room right now or online saying, well, the cost sounds so high. And we've seen it. It's, it's, it's going to look like you hate your family. It's going to look like you have to take up a cross. Yeah, it's actually that. It's going to cost you your life. Absolutely. But what I believe we all need to know and see today is that we are feeling the pressure. We are feeling the cost. Absolutely. We may feel the hesitancy of all of these things because it's so countercultural. But the reward is deep. And Jesus says this in Luke chapter 14, verse 14. He says, you will be repaid at the resurrection of just. Or in other words, there is no cost that you can pay in following me that won't be made up to you a thousandfold on the resurrection. I think we need to take this away today. The denial of Peter represents much, much more than saying, I don't know this man. It represents the reality of humanity. The denial represents our sinful nature. The denial represents our separation back from the Father, the creator of this universe. It also represents the distance that many of us are feeling today with our connection with Jesus. But Jesus turns his face upon us, no matter the sin, no matter the separation, no matter the distance that you are feeling right now. He knows you're feeling the pressure. He knows the hard times of the cost that it will be to follow him. He knows that many of us are humming and hawing about this, but he still took the journey to the cross to restore our world with your name on it. Because Jesus looks at you, no matter the distance, the shame, the guilt, the resume that you feel like you have. And it reveals the assurance that Jesus is still in control. That we are forgiven, even though we, we may fumble. And each day is a new day where he makes us new. Because he looks at us. And when we capture these truths today, I pray and hope with all of my being for all of us in this room and in line and for myself is that we would not deny him that we would stand firm proclaiming him because he takes us back he took Peter back and now he takes you and I back listen to this song